Hello, welcome to Antiquitas, Leaders and Legends of the Ancient World, with Cornell University professor Barry Strauss, military historian, expert in the ancient world, and best-selling author. During this podcast, Barry and his guests will share stories about fascinating and controversial people and events in history and myth. And now, Professor Barry Strauss. Hello, and welcome to Antiquitas. If you are enjoying listening to these podcasts, and I'm certainly enjoying speaking to you on them, well, then you might well be interested in what I'm going to talk about today. We've got the chance to experience ancient history firsthand this coming summer in Greece. I'm going to be the faculty leader on an education vacation. It's called Undiscovered Greece, History, Myth, and Music in the Land of the Gods. The dates are June 26 to July 6, 2020. The study tour is offered by Cornell University through CAU, Cornell's adult university. And you can read about it online at sce.cornell.edu slash CAU. That's sce.cornell.edu slash CAU. Just follow the Trips and Courses tab. Now, let me tell you about the trip. We're going to visit Epirus, or as some pronounce it, Epirus. Either pronunciation is correct, but I prefer Epirus because it is closer to the Greek pronunciation, Epirus. Epirus is a rugged, magical, magnificent region of northwestern Greece. Many visitors overlook Epirus, which is a pity. It used to be remote, but it is now easy to get to and to get around in. It's an especially beautiful region, which is really saying something when you consider how lovely the rest of Greece is. It's also full of history, which of course greatly appeals to me. And our trip has an added attraction. It will also be full of music. Our visit coincides with the Epirus Chamber Music Festival. Our days will be filled with sightseeing, lectures, and discussions. In the evenings, however, we will have the chance to hear professional musicians playing chamber music in the most amazing settings, in ancient theaters. It will be beautiful, relaxing, and inspiring. We'll hear a total of five different concerts. As a historian and a lover of modern Greece, I know just how important music is in Greek culture. It was in antiquity, and it continues to be important today, as part of meals, celebrations, festivals, theater. Why, even ancient armies marched to the sound of music. The ancient Greeks built their theaters in places that took advantage of natural beauty. As for music, well, as the saying goes, it's a Greek word. Our word music comes from the ancient Greek concept of musike, that is, the gifts of the muses, the nine daughters of Zeus who inspired the arts, Musique is a broader term than our music. It includes literature and art and even history. The muse of history is Cleo, and I assure you that she will be with us on our journey. But the muse that most easily reaches our ears is Euterpe, the muse of music and song. Hearing the gifts of Euterpe in ancient theaters will be a stunning and unforgettable experience. And don't forget that our concerts will find their counterpart in dinners in Greek tavernas, 
where the food and drink will be delicious, natural, and delightful. Let's return to the realm of Cleo, the muse of history. My job on the trip will be to serve as the faculty leader and on-site instructor. I will guide you through the history of the places that we visit. I'll do this through a series of formal lectures, but let me also emphasize that this will be an opportunity for informality as well. Through discussions, stories, and spontaneous insights, we will engage in a constant give and take, a running conversation in and about history. We'll begin our trip in Athens, of which we'll get just a short and sweet taste. Then we fly to Yelanina, a beautiful university town on a lake. That might even remind some of us of Ithaca, New York, where Cornell is located. Ioannina is an ancient city, though, with picturesque streets. It's a multicultural town with a history of Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Its history includes the Byzantine Emperor Justinian, the Ottoman ruler Ali Pasha, and the current mayor, Moses Elisaf, the first Jewish mayor in Greece. We'll next go to the archaeological site of Dodoni, the site of an ancient oracle of the gods. The ruins of Dodoni include a superb Greek theater. From there, we will travel to the island of Corfu, the ancient Corsaira, a place whose history evokes the Odyssey, the Peloponnesian War, and the Maritime Empire of Venice. Our next stop will be Meteora, the spectacular site of Greece's famous rock-top monasteries. It has to be seen to be believed. Heading into southern Epirus, we will visit the place that the ancients thought to be the entrance to the underworld, followed by a pause at a lush and relaxing seacoast town. Then we will visit ancient Kasopi, a remarkable example of town planning in the 4th century BC. We next head to Previza on the impressive Gulf of Arta, the jumping-off place for visits to islands, to ancient and Ottoman-era monuments, and to the site of one of the most important battles of history. Let me talk a little about just a few of the spots that we will visit. When we are in Athens, we will stand on the Acropolis, and I will point out to you where the Battle of Salamis took place in 480 BC. As listeners of Antiquitas, you will be familiar with the battle and its role as a turning point in the history of civilization. But now you'll have a chance to see what the ancient Athenians did as they contemplated the site of their own history, the place where their democracy dramatically turned back a foreign invasion. By the way, we'll be visiting Athens on the eve of the 2500th anniversary of the battle. We'll touch base with Athenian history again on Corfu, ancient Corsaira, because it was here that the events took place that ignited the fire that turned into the Peloponnesian War, the conflict that inflamed the eastern Mediterranean world and led to a long-term cultural crisis. An ugly civil war broke out on Corfu during the Peloponnesian War, which might have been hard to imagine on such a beautiful island. Fortunately, the war also led to one of the most enlightening books of all time, Thucydides' History. And Corfu is also remembered as the probable site of Phaeacia, the peaceful island visited by Odysseus in Homer's Odyssey. But our focus will be on Epirus. So let me talk in particular about two places there of outstanding historical interest. The first is Dodoni, the ancient Dodona, the site of the Oracle of Zeus. Dodoni became the religious capital of northern Greece under King Pyrrhus of Epirus. Pyrrhus lived from 319 to 272 BC. 
He was a man of outsized talent and ambition. Pyrrhus was larger than life and a great military commander. No less an expert than Hannibal, one of history's greatest generals. Hannibal himself ranked Pyrrhus as second only to Alexander the Great when it came to military leadership. More than once, Pyrrhus fought in the front lines. On one occasion, in fact, Pyrrhus fought the opposing general in single combat. Although Pyrrhus was wounded, he did more damage to his opponent, whom he struck in the neck and the thigh. The poor guy had to be carried from the battlefield by his comrades in order to save his life. But Pyrrhus was ultimately a sad and even tragic figure. He's best known for his invasion of Italy and his wars against Rome. Pyrrhus won every battle but lost the wars. He could outmaneuver the Romans on the battlefield, but they cost him such heavy casualties that the result wasn't worth the effort. After one such battle, Pyrrhus is said to have cried out, Any more victories like this and we are ruined! And so, in the end, he gave up on his attempt to conquer southern Italy and to evict the Romans from it. All this is the origin of the modern expression, a Pyrrhic victory. That is, a victory that is too costly to be worthwhile. A Pyrrhic victory. As for Pyrrhus, after intervening in Sicily too, again without success, he went back to Greece. Before departing the island, he's supposed to have said, What a wrestling ground we are leaving, my friends, for the Romans and the Carthaginians. If so, he predicted the devastating Punic Wars, perhaps the bloodiest conflict of ancient times. But Pyrrhus didn't live to see the Punic Wars. He died about ten years earlier, and he had a bad death indeed. He was wounded in street fighting in a city in southern Greece when an old woman saw him fighting her son. From her roof, she threw down a tile with such force that it knocked Pyrrhus from his horse. The fall broke Pyrrhus's spine. An enemy soldier came along and finished Pyrrhus off by beheading him. So ended the life of one of the ancient world's most ambitious but least successful generals. We'll be sure to leave Dodoni on a much lighter note after hearing another concert by the Epirus chamber music players, this time in the imposing ancient theater of the site. Pyrrhus may be legendary, but he pales by comparison with the most famous combatants of ancient Epirus, none other than those favorites of Hollywood and the Globe Theater, Antony and Cleopatra. They're known to romantics and to theatergoers and to readers of Shakespeare and to historians and to military strategists, and in Epirus they will become known to us. Antony and Cleopatra fought their greatest battle right off the coast of the city of Prevesa, where we will be staying. There, on September 2nd, 31 BC, their ships clashed with the navy of Octavian Caesar. That clash, known as the Battle of Actium, was a fight for the future of the Roman world. If you're listening to these podcasts, if you're a regular listener of Antiquitas, then you'll know that Actium was one of the most famous naval battles in history. If Antony and Cleopatra had won, the empire would still have its capital in Rome, but it would have one foot in Alexandria, the main city of Egypt, and Cleopatra's base. Rome would have looked eastward. If Octavian had won, then the empire would continue to be rooted in the west. Octavian did win, of course. Rome remained Rome. 
As for Antony and Cleopatra, they escaped, and they lived to fight another day. But alas, it wasn't much of a fight. Octavian used his mastery of the arts of diplomacy, threat, and bribery to win over Antony's land forces. By the time he followed his defeated rivals to Egypt, they had no choice but to commit suicide. Octavian was left as the sole ruler of the Roman world. He soon became known by the name that we refer to him today, Augustus, the first Roman emperor. How and why did Octavian win at Actium? How and why did Antony and Cleopatra lose? Sites associated with the battle are located around the city of Prevesa. We'll visit a number of them. We'll visit the site of Octavian's camp, as well as the camp of Antony and Cleopatra. I promise you that the contrast between the two will be enlightening in a way that you can never get from the history books. Merely by using our eyes, we'll learn a great deal about the battle and why it turned out the way it did. We'll see as well where Octavian docked his ships. We will also learn a great deal by visiting the site of pre-battle skirmishes on the islands of Corfu and Lefkada, as well as the pretty coastal town of Parga. About this town, Cleopatra told quite a memorable joke, but it's long, complicated, and off-color, so it's to be saved for another occasion. As for me, I am currently writing a book about Actium. By visiting the site together this summer, I know that you will help me to sharpen my ideas. And if we're lucky, you'll lead me on to new insights as well. During our visit, we'll also see the way that Octavian, by now Augustus, will see how he memorialized his victory. He built a new city at the site, a city which he named Nicopolis, Nike City, or more literally, Victory City. We will look closely at the extensive remains of Nicopolis, in particular at the Victory Monument that Augustus decorated with the rams captured from some of Antony's ships. It's a fabulous monument and an important clue to us historians to what really happened in the battle. We'll also study the intriguing coins and statuary from the period that survive in the town's small but exquisite museum. We'll marvel at the walls and mosaics that still stand from the city's later history in the Byzantine period. And finally, we'll end our time in Nicopolis by attending one last concert. In fact, the closing concert of the Epirus Chamber Music Festival. What a fitting way to end our journey before flying back to Athens. It will truly be a musical, historical, archaeological, naturalistic, as well as a gastronomical feast. To repeat what I said earlier, I hope that you'll consider joining me on an education vacation next summer. It's called Undiscovered Greece, History, Myth, and Music in the Land of the Gods. The dates are June 26 to July 6, 2020. The trip is offered by Cornell University through CAU, Cornell's Adult University. And you can read about it online at sce.cornell.edu slash cau. That's sce.cornell.edu slash cau. Follow the Trips and Courses tab. Thanks for listening. As always, please like us on iTunes. We'll see you again soon on the next 
episode of Antiquitas. And maybe we'll even see you this summer in Greece. Theme music by Lush Life.